Hey, Dame. Yo. Do you happen to have any idea who this episode is brought to you by? Oh, I think I have a clue. I think I do. <laughs> this episode of Ergo is brought to you by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. And if you know Ergo, we love independent and we love shit not being locked down. So <laughs> so go ahead and get Overcast for free on the App Store. This is the celebration. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. It's a Hello and welcome to Ergo. If you are surprised that you are not hearing the dulcet tones, smooth, delightful voices of Damon Williams and Daniel Kisslinger, it's because I am your temporary host for today, Eve Ewing. Um, it's so good to be here with my two guests, <laughs> and Daniel Kisslinger, to celebrate the 300th episode of Ergo. Boo, boo, boo. <laughs> you do, was that like a crow like a raven yeah yeah we've had various animals over the years we'll discuss um so we're we're celebrating the 300th episode of ergo by inverting the usual ergo paradigm and um i'm your host for today and daniel and david are my guests isn't this a trip so um guys i have to ask you first how are you treating the world and how is the world treating you how's it going yeah i guess i guess i'll hop in there i think the world has shown me, you know, new levels of love and community and family through, you know, immense grief and pain that is one, a a lesson, but also requiring like a space of recovery. And I don't know if it's aired yet, but in, in one of our recent conversations, something really resonated of like the feeling of a need to offer the world more as it is calling for more. So like offering more and then with each offering, it almost like proportionally becomes like less of what's needed, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. the more you give kind of like the further away you are from what you feel you need to give, which has Oof. been a thing that's like pushed me and and has like led me towards growth uh but I'm now also trying to like reassess the like there's almost some like perpetual growth paradigm thinking in that it's like almost like capitalist logic that like right. I'm trying like to at what point are you just receiving and chilling mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as opposed to continuing to sort of strive yeah yeah so trying to understand like what the proverbial CO2 tipping points are is like a thing that I'm trying to trying to navigate great to link your men your mental health to climate change as like this is a healthy way forward excellent good, 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 good because i was gonna think about it the opposite way like the co2 tipping point is like the bad tipping point right and i was wondering what is like the rigid like my battery is full you know when you put your uh, phone on low battery mode and then it's like nope you're good now you're, you're all right you're at 80 percent. yeah you're 80 percent. like we're gonna chill like I wonder what that tipping point is, you know, what you would need to be not fully healed. Like that's not a thing. Right. But uh, moving forward in a way that feels regenerative and, and fed nourished. That's real, man. Uh, Kisslinger, how about you? 
how is the world treating me? Um, I'm in like a stretch of legitimate happiness for the first time in a long time. (laughs) years. (laughs) So basically through thinking about myself and therapy and all these things, it's like, Oh, I know the world things have been challenging in the pandemic and everything, but I can like work through it and find some contentment and happiness. And the whole time in the back of my mind, I'm just going, I just want to go on vacation. Mm -hmm. And then I went on vacation and it made me happy in a way that none of the other things did. And I was like, God damn it. Like, yeah. this, I was right. <laughs> this sucks that like all of this self-growth work and all these things that I understand myself better. Like my instinct was right. Like I needed to go be in a place with different walls and mm-hmm. different contexts and different language and all that. And obviously that's not, I can't always just like pick up and go to another country every time I feel down. But on some level, it was actually like a little gratifying of like, this isn't just some like escapist survival tactic, uh, which that's not a negative thing in and of itself. But, but you know, that's kind of how I'd coded that like pull. It was like, oh, no, I actually knew that this would be something that would feed me. And now it's been like weeks coming back and my baseline is so much better than it was before. Yeah. And like, it feels almost basic to say like, oh, I went on vacation and it made me happy. But like, it actually did. Y'all are so, I mean, I don't think you need to apologize or justify, (laughs) you know, like it sounds like you were not going away from something. It sounds like you were going towards something, you know, Mm. towards space, towards pause. And can I also just say you going on vacation? I can't speak for everybody. I I wanted to say you going on vacation made everybody happy, but I can speak for myself. (laughs) You going on vacation made me very happy. And I was... Because I, I was living vicariously. I'm like, look at my friend taking <laughs> yeah. breaks, eating uh-huh. food, being in love, <laughs> looking at old stuff that is pretty, you know, like taking <laughs> pictures and whatnot. Like, it was great. Getting his fits off. Getting fits <laughs> off every day. Italian fits. Uh-huh. It, was, it was dope. It was really dope. And I, I don't know. I think there's, I think that there's a, uh, to me, an intimate relationship between what both of you said, right? Which is, it's so unfortunate that I'm, and I'm not, this is not like a innovative thing to say, but you know, Audre Lord gave us the gift of, of the term self-care and it has been so drawn away from what I think her intentions were with it, which by the way is tricky because her whole line about self-care is like literally a sentence, you know? And so all of us have been left to kind of like interpret what is meant by that. And I think there's a lot of misinterpretation of self-care but like, it's not a, it's not a hokey thing. Like it's really a necessary thing. I don't know. How do we treat that time as necessary on the same level as like food and sleep, which by the way, people also be forego. I mean, y'all forego both of those things, right? These are necessary things and you would not treat somebody else the way you treat yourself in this regard, you know? Yeah. And and I think because of the like co-optation of the idea of self-care in my mind i've like tried to hold to the like more nuance of like oh no it means this growth and this work and actually haven't done enough of the like more basic version of it the like instagram version of it of like let me just go have fun and relax (laughs) so i was like no i can't do the like capital let me just actually chill for a little bit yeah i was talking to a friend about this last week like i think you have to know what your baseline inertia is, right? And so in, in in how you read other people's advice, like when people say like, oh, you need to rest this much or some people are like, you know what? You could rest a little less. Like you could, <laughs> you could 
do something even you know you could you could get up and do some stuff but like that's not y'all right your baseline is already so overextended that i think you have to recognize like i i think like you said daniel you're not post self care yet like i think you need to just do the basics first so um i'm glad for that well, um, I'm very excited to be in this role. For those who can't see my face, I'm <laughs> registering my excitement physically. <laughs> Truly. I have so many questions. We're probably not going to get to all of them. But I want to start, uh, first of all, I believe, I, I'm not sure if I counted correctly, I believe this is my fifth time on Ergo. Um, and I would like to know, does that make me a record holder as a guest? Absolutely. Yes. The only, the only person who would be close, because Miriam's only been on four. She's, th- she's been on four? it's just true so miriam's close and then asha's close that's pretty good yeah yeah but and I think, like without that being intentional just like what a, <laughs> what a, a mary of asha i'm just like oh i'm so proud yeah. of myself <laughs> yeah and for the you know we're obviously talking about uh miriam kaba and asha ransby and so that's that's dope but i think you got them though also i got them. I, I think you i think you can hold it not down. that it's a competition <laughs> Um, so, so let's take it back to the beginning. What inspired you all to make a show together? Why are we here? How did this happen? How did I get here? Kiss, I'll throw that to you first. Yeah, I'll do the the little spiel. Um, so we went to college together. We were friendly, not super close friends, but, you know, kind of in sometimes similar circles, both worked at the radio station. And the first thing we ever did together was senior year of college. I was running the station and starting to get really plugged into music stuff happening in Chicago. And Damon and I put together a concert where we brought No Name, uh, Jamila and MNO, and then Christiana and Damon to perform at Grinnell. You know, we had, like I said, kind of circled each other and been around each other, but that was the first time we really like collaborated and it went really, really well. Um, and also the first time I think we talked about the context because we did a pre-show like group oh, yeah. conversation that I don't know if it ever came out. I have, I might, it, it came out on my college radio show, but there's an interview <laughs> that's uh, Damon and Christiana and Fatima and uh, AKA no and, name and Jamila, for those yes, who aren't and, hip. and Jamila and uh, the other and Owen um, like in like a round table style in the like cafe at Grinnell that we act that I do have the audio of. And um, so we were having those very contrived Chicago Renaissance conversations. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but I think it was also like a seed of like not only having similar interests, but also like the the larger discussion around it that like some of it was getting assumed or filled in with like these very sh- contrived blog posts. Right, like right. The, the long form deep dive into like what's the real communal context that's creating all this dope shit. So the day before we did the concert, the radio station slash just me and the people <laughs> who I got to work for me. We also brought uh, Kevin to campus to do a reading and a workshop. He was like someone whose work I'd come across on Twitter and Kevin Cole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to fill it all in for all yeah, the newbies that I know <laughs> yeah, are going to show up for this. Yeah, yeah. The three yeah we're so, not HBK anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and so while he was there we had met once before and then he came on this show and he was like this is what brought me to chicago basically he was like i have a podcast i'm doing with b about to do with bz do you want to come produce it and i was like oh shit yes and he was like well there's no money but we'll find you other work basically it stepped into that universe um and so to make a long story short moved to chicago 
for many reasons that project never came to fruition even though i put six months of unpaid work into it Mm. uh and then it was never like ended it just didn't happen Mm. um but I ended it's up. It's not the worst. Uh, don't you hate when that happens? <laughs> oh yeah, like yes. just meetings don't happen anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you gotta be able to. It's a skill in life to tell people, like, you know what, it's not gonna happen. And there's nothing wrong with it. Like that kind of closure is so um, humane. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like the the harm that's caused by not giving people bad news but rather just letting it spiral out and the like lack of confrontation just letting people live the bad news <laughs> yeah is way way worse um and so anyway i was in chicago at this point uh it was clear that project wasn't going to happen the whole time i knew i wanted to get back on the radio i got a job working at the promontory like doing front of house there it's a music venue on that still somewhat exists the restaurant doesn't on 53rd street in hyde park and my boss there was one of the format chiefs at WHPK. And so I started percolating like, oh, maybe I can get on the radio there. I knew I wanted to do interviews with Chicago artists because that was what I was doing at Grinnell by the end, basically. I didn't want to do it alone, mostly because, well, for various reasons. Like one, I knew I had my limitations as an interviewer. Also, I was new to the city. I was an outsider. I wasn't part of this. And I was white and didn't have connections. And, a lot, you know, this wasn't my world. Everything else has changed. <laughs> I'm still not from here, but that has remained as That's well. True. Yeah. Um, and so I was thinking, like, who would I really want to go into this type of collaboration with? Not just to have access to all those things, but like, who would be someone I would trust to do this with me? And Damon was the only person I could think of that fit any version of what I could imagine this show being. So we sat down at 90 Miles Cuban Cafe on Armitage Avenue, just west of Western. Just three blocks west of the Kennedy Expressway. (laughs) (laughs) I love all of that. (laughs) You're great at this. (laughs) And we talked it through and he was on board and we built out the format a little differently. And then we got basically... To make a long story short, my boss at the promontory was like, if you start in the summer when there are no students, you can keep your slot into the fall. So in July 2015, 20, the 20th of July 2015, we got on the radio for the first time together in Chicago. And then starting the 27th, we had our first interview and have basically done it weekly since then. Can Go I ahead. give some back out? Yeah, and then so I have, like a, then I have a question my, for you. Go ahead. My side of the, the zipper a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, so... You know, one, we met in a, a, a freshman, like basically like, or first year, excuse me, a, f- a first year <laughs> intro uh, African-American lit class uh, with a teacher that like became a mentor for me. And like, I think Daniel also, and we had her on the mentor suite. And it was funny because like, I got in that class last minute and it was like a dream. Like the first day I got there, we were like analyzing um, Warning by Biggie. And so I'm like, oh man, this is like what I want. But I, if you like listen or kind of know me, like home, I'm a great classwork guy. I'm good at <laughs> meetings. Homework is like a struggle for me. And so I was showing up to class, like kind of trying to like, you know, skate by and like, oh, let me, you know, mm-hmm. kind of cut the corners. And like Daniel was like way more prepared, exuberant, and also like ready to go at like almost like doing too much in a way that was like, who the fuck is this dude? Uh, (laughs) And so it it became like a a twofold of like a one, like I don't want to disappoint my teacher, but two, almost like, I can't let this white boy kind of like shine me run this class. Studies you know? class. <laughs> and then just it became from like the reading <laughs> just because he did his homework, <laughs> you know, and that was it. He was like, oh, he has page numbers. And right. so uh. it started kind of like not competitive, but like from that space. And then we kind of like 
became compadres and like helping to facilitate this group discussion. So I even think some of the seeds of like, because she also had a good thing of like, when you speak, you can't look at me. You have to look to your classmates. When you speak, you can't just say something to say something. You have to respond to the thing that was said before you. This has to be a collective dialogue. And it was about the Black canon, right? So like that seed was there. I think we had some philosophy class. I was also, he managed this rapper on campus. <laughs> it's funny. This is going to sound like it was Shay. There was like no beef on my end. He had like asked me first because like of some... <laughs> conversation of like i was talking about some lupe verse or something they were like oh man he knows his shit it was like really passionate but like i wasn't been doing anything like i don't know how to it's like daniel started like very eagerly managing our friend and and not only did that teach me how he worked we also collaborated again on a show that was centered around him that had like a live band and i was a feature performer and like so so that all seed was there and then the last parts that i think are were important is you know, not only was he around kind of the YCA hip hop scene, open mic scene, but one of the things they did with Kevin was when we brought Lost Voices from Ferguson up, they interviewed the whole group. And then he was at a few direct actions. And there was one time where uh, after Freddie, the Freddie Gray solidarity action, we were coming from the 35th Street Police Headquarters going down. I guess we were coming down Cottage. And I was like, chant leading and carrying like the sound system and he just came I didn't know he was there <laughs> so he just came out of nowhere and just started like pushing the sound system with me and so like in addition to like oh we have similar skill sets and interests there was like an investment a showing up and a trust that when he kind of like had the the opportunity the idea of doing a show and I was already doing like an internet radio show with my dad and knew I wanted to do something like that it was just like a perfect timing built with this kind of like alter ego relationship we had to each other that like really solidified the intricacy with which we were able to develop what the what the show was about oh this is so pure okay so <laughs> we're wholesome so, as fuck we're wholesome. <laughs> the takeaway. okay so dame i have a follow up question for you mm-hmm. um you know, you all said earlier, I think Daniel said this, that you knew each other, but we're not close. So the, if pushing the sound system was the seed, what was the moment, perhaps a moment of trial, perhaps a moment of triumph when you were like, OK, this dude is my family. Oh, oh I definitely know us, the answer yeah, to this. Yeah. <laughs> so shout out Jay Bambi, Jasmine Barber. Yeah. Um, the homie. So they have the same birthday. Um, they had like some joint like house party. They what were like 23, 20, your 24th birthday, maybe? 24th. Oh my so this gosh. was this was December 2015. 2015, yeah. Yeah. So we're like six months into doing the show, basically. And like we're like working together and like getting cooler. Uh, and so I show up to the birthday, like, oh, these are both my people, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like there after. And he can get into like the details of it, but like from my perspective, there was like a, a dispute around the understandings of like what the party was. And it was like to raise resources for an organization. Like they were like, you know, kind of rent party type style. We maybe don't even need the detail, but there was like a, a moment of tension. And I was an observer. And I had known like from class and from some of our social things, like Daniel was very type A, very on it, very headstrong and very like usually principled, but like intense. And then also I saw him being activated too. So it wasn't just yeah, it wasn't the my content. Yeah. yeah, it was no, like it was- there was an intensity and it just didn't look good of like my white homie and my black femme homie like having this kind of like power arguments. Over $100. Yeah. That, le- that wasn't like necessary. And so I was his ride home. 
And so I was kind of like letting him vent because it's also his birthday. So I'm not about to, I wasn't like trying to check someone on their birthday and like also like, do I want to get into it? Like I could kind of just move. But I had a real principle around friendship. And so there was a moment where I was sitting in the car, we reached his house and I'm like, okay, am I this guy's friend or do we work together? And I decided in that moment, I'm like, no, he's like a good person. And like, I'm invested in this relationship. And I was able to tell him like, yo, like 95% of the technical things you sang were correct. And I understood your point, but like that just was not hot. And I think you probably in ways that couldn't feel in the moment, like you showing up, particularly in your body, in that space, in this community sphere, the way you did, the way that people saw that, like. I don't think that's the way you want to be showing up into the world. And so like, regardless of whatever the things are or how y'all figure it out, like there was a deeper, just human social dynamic that Not I just think being was, right. that was misaligned. Um, and yeah, there was a moment of like, I don't know if I wanted to like do that labor to do it, but then I did. And it was received as like, well, or as like, and, and now I've done those conversations with so many more people and so many people that aren't my <laughs> friends. <laughs> like I can look back in the moment. I also received it as going well, but also like, as that has become like a little mythology about our relationship and friendship, like the further I get away from it, the more I respect, not only in the moment, but I saw coming out of that, like real proactive accountability. And not only like, oh, let me apologize for this, but like, let me show up in a way that's informed by this lesson. And like that, from that moment, not only did I tell you, but then you took it and like received it. And then so many other like ways in which, you know, I would, every time we do one of these things, I like have to like check myself of like, I really want to affirm just how great of a person Daniel is and like how many ways he showed up in my life as we built this relationship. Uh, but that was like the first moment where I went from like somebody I shake hands with to like more intimacy and vulnerability. That's such an amazing answer because you know, not to do the like paraphrase Hackney Baldwin quote about like, you know, if I love you, I must critique you. But that's really real. I think I don't think any of us wants to waste our time giving of ourselves for somebody else's growth that we're not invested in. Right. right. And so exactly. I love that you had to make that choice in that moment. Like, am I going to let this slide and be like, we're not cool. Also, the economy of Chicago is very much that like, <laughs> It would have been it for y'all after that. If you decided to not, it's like, well, now you're not, now I can't be seen with you because this is how you act, you know? And mm. I think that like, there's a kind of parochialism that we have with that. But I actually think it's like saying, if I'm seen with you, if I work with you, if I collab with you, I'm co-signing implicitly what you do. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm saying that I'm cool with this and I have to decide what that accountability looks like in that moment. So that's deep. That's, that's deep. If I was interviewing you, I would ask, you think that's a Chicago specific thing, but I want to, I want to let you do it. <laughs> I think it is a, I think Chicagoans are more sensitive to the stakes of interpersonal connections than most people are sometimes to our benefit, sometimes to our detriment, but, but that's another conversation. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so when you all listen to your old interviews, 300 episodes, 299 episodes later, what <laughs> are you proud of and what makes you want to crawl into a hole and never come out? Oh, so the, the plot twist is that Damon pretty much never listened to anything. <laughs> I knew that. I knew it. Oh, man. I I kind of like disassociate from the personalness of it. And I just, it's like my grown obsession with audio quality and production quality is in many ways a like way to not associate with the like cringiness that people often <laughs> feel hearing themselves in the past. One thing I am proud of, and I'm sure there are little things that violate this but i don't think we worry a ton 
about maybe this is jinxing it, but like, you know how people who have done a lot of podcasts who are like famous, there's like this, oh no, they're going to go back in the old episodes and find all the fucked up things I said. <laughs> like, I don't really worry about that that much. Like, I'm sure there are things we said that were not fully fleshed out. And there's so many ways we've grown in our thinking and learned, but like the ethos of what we were trying to contribute was there from the beginning. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Even when we had so much to learn and of course still continue to. Um, so that I'm really proud of. I sometimes cringe at the like forced high energy-ness of the early episodes. <laughs> like we we were kind of it's not it doesn't sound like morning radio, but like I kind of had that <laughs> like drive time feel a little yeah. bit. And then once we were able to get into the recording studio and not do it live, like we really kind of settled. At least I settled into my body a little bit. Like it kind of felt less like a fever dream when we would get off the microphones. And I was like, wait, what just happened? Like I could kind of breathe a little bit. So there's some of that. Yeah. Dane, what do you yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree with in the times there was like a few, I think we were doing live shows with people. I was like, oh, let me go back and listen to the first time we talked. And I was surprised by how like grounded we were again in this like we are trying to contribute to specific like overlapping communities and the like transgenerational thread of movement Mm -hmm. and like having that understanding and like really being practiced in that and the fact that it wasn't either of our first time on microphone as people it was more about figuring out what our collaboration was i enjoyed it more listening back than i probably would have if i listened to it the week it came out i think a, a just a very basic format thing is like again from when we went to being a live radio show to being able to pre-record and like have different time things of one either being rushed or two not having enough like questions i think maybe like our follow-up game got much stronger and so like having songs in there of like we would say to catch our breath or use the bathroom which sometimes would be true or like to make it easier on the guests but sometimes we'd be like oh i don't know what's coming next like i need to like <laughs> i need three minutes to like figure it out or like playing games at the end to like just make sure that we could fill an hour in ways that were exciting and i think yeah um being able to grow into having more space than taught us more about the spaces that we're covering. Mm-hmm. Are there things that y'all miss at all about being live on WHPK? I miss the the pregame and the postgame. We had such a nice like little hangout before, and then we had a long stretch where we would go out to lunch with the guests afterwards, and we would take them out for lunch, and we got actually like a little unofficial sponsorship from the lighthouse. In high I remember that like, <laughs> comp our lunches, which and that happened for like probably 40 episodes. And so that was super, super fun. And, and then actually became part of like the ethos of the show, even though we didn't do that anymore. On air, I don't miss doing it that way at all, really. But I, I do miss the like feeling of community a little bit of being in that radio station. And then just like, do you want to come out to lunch? Let's get to know each other a little better. And then but I think what that taught me was how to get toward the conversations that happened at lunch on the air because all mm-hmm. we would always have this feeling of like oh we i wish we'd covered this in the conversation and then yeah. we got to know each other better it made us better interviewers i think yeah definitely i, I think um it's interesting podcast has changed in people's imagination it was still there was still somewhat some obscurity in 2015 like obviously it was a thing but it's the thing that it is now did not exist and so it felt like being on a radio station made it easier to like focus on like our passion love of just like rap and hip hop a little bit. It felt like a better ask at the time to a rapper 
to be like, hey, do you want to come on my radio show? As opposed to like, hey, can we book you on a podcast? Um, <laughs> and so like that's qu- kind of not the same anymore. But there was definitely some of that that like I miss of just like being, you know, and then the fact that WHBK is like a hip hop historical place in the city. And then it has that record library in there that like, you know, it's cool to just like let sab or you know somebody see like look you know look at this thing and like you can kind of come and check it out whenever we're here if you needed to and yeah so that was that was fun i know you don't miss people having to negotiate finding a place to park on 57th oh my god or myself (laughs) or Or going up to let people up or the guy that came after us it was it was a lot or no before us Was Alan Linton the person who came? Alan out? was after. Uh, Alan, Alan was the homie. It was the guy before us who was, who was a hater. Character. No, he was just a just uh, a just a character. good old fashioned Hyde Park weirdo, like a real just solid old fashioned weirdo. I think there were maybe like four times Eve that I texted you specifically, being like, "Can you be at WHBK in twelve minutes?" <laughs> Because yeah. our guest oh, yeah. canceled, you were our yeah. like Hyde Park reporter. <laughs> in- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think of you every time I can't find a spot, and I always think Hyde Park is where they hide the parking. Every time. So I, you have had a lot of guests who were homies, uh, like myself. Uh, you have a lot of guests who became homies. Um, but. Who's each of your favorite guests or favorite episode who's like not somebody you knew well, but that you just feel like, wow, that was really a dope favorite guest who's not the homie? I I have an answer. And like, I think if the like global logistics allowed it, probably would became like a homie kick it partner partier. Uh, A woman named Vivian Sansour, who even the bio is like evading me. The conversation was so amazing, but I know she did work of like a Palestinian seed library Mm. of basically like maintaining the ancestral biodiversity of like Like heritage seeds and stuff. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and just the, you know, the work and, you know, talking about Palestinian liberation itself was so phenomenal, but like her grounding the like biomimicry conversations we were able to have about soil and seeds and just some of the wisdom as also like, you know, being like a generation above us, I think that's also fun for us because we usually are in like our little, the Overton window of that is shifting, but like that 18 to 35, now it's, you know, 25 to 39 or whatever like thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's, that's, I think who comes to my mind first. Yeah, that's a great answer. I think the one that just stands out to me is actually due to you, but we had S.A. Smythe on for the education suite Uh, and we just like, totally hit it off um yeah, definitely. and we said at the end of it like oh man if we're ever in the same place like we should get a drink and it was this understanding of like not only do we live in different parts of the states the nature of their life is that they're in multiple countries almost simultaneously and then when i was just on vacation in italy we were both in rome and we got a drink and it was a joy and uh i don't know what it was about that conversation but it felt like there were levels on which we were able to connect and and how we were thinking and it was someone who i probably wouldn't have come across their work you know just on my own so shout out to you for making that happen but essay definitely was one of those people essay is so dope i gotta do so people should listen to that episode uh, to both those episodes i gotta do a quick plug for how essay and myself became friends because it's extra random uh my husband uh had a, a conference in london and i went along and electric arches my first book was about to come out it wasn't out yet and i went on twitter and i was like what london bookstore will let me come read from my galley uh and some some bookstore said yes i think it was called the little green bookstore 
And they're like, yeah, come, come on Monday, whatever. So I came and it was like in the cut. It was like out there in some part of London, you know, that I never would have been at otherwise. And I had no books to sell, right? I had no books to sell. <laughs> just, I just got words. Vibes, you know? <laughs> words and vibes. I think I had a galley, maybe. I might not have even, I might've just had like printed out poems. And they agreed that they would take pre-orders for the book. And I believe like nine people came and one of them was essay and they were impeccably dressed. And so it was the wildest reading I've ever done because I signed individual book plates for everybody. Like, oh, when your book comes, you can put the sticker in it. And because there were only nine people, I wrote these really long, <laughs> deeply personal. I had like a really long conversation with every person and I wrote these really long, you wrote like, new poems for them. <laughs> yeah. I was like, here, you know, to say like, hope your move goes great. And that your mom like learns to appreciate everything you're, you know, just like these really like, <laughs> lo- like letters to each person. It was so, it was like so bizarre. And then afterwards we all went and got fish and chips. And so, so I, it, it's just something I would, ne- it would never happen now that I would yeah. like go with a stranger. And the funniest part, was that after it was over, one of the people we were we were sitting around the table talking about the fish and chips, and and Peter Kahn was there, and Terrence Hayes were there too, and so it was like so three of the nine people were Peter Kahn, Terrence Hayes, and that's it. yes, 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 and they were in London for some reason, and uh, and quality, we're going not around, quantity, absolutely, <laughs> we're going around the table at the fish and chips spot, and. Uh, and this one person was, we were like, so who do you know? And they were like, no one, I just came. Like, I just saw you guys were going. So I just, so this person showed up at a reading and ended up having dinner with Terrence Hayes <laughs> and, and like had like the best, you know, my husband, Damon was like, you know, that person shot their shot and they just had like a great night, like yeah. you know, legendary poetry night. Love to see it. Anyway, but enough about me. Um, so, <laughs> so what is something that I know you all, you know, part of what you hinted at earlier in terms of looking back at the old episodes is that you've grown and learned so much just because of the passage of time, but also because of this premise of having these really deep conversations with incredibly thoughtful people. I know it's probably hard to choose one, but what's like one learning from a guest that you have really carried with you at like something you think about frequently uh, that really impacted the way you move through the world that you took from a, a conversation? Mm. Oh, that's such a great question. I thought about sending you that guys these in advance. That would be better to spring no, it on no, you. We don't I believe. It. We don't believe. I know. I know you don't do believe it. in that. I know. So. Um, this is not the answer, but this is to give Dan some time to think. Um, in one of those post conversations, we we, we uh, went to Lighthouse with, with Miriam Kaba. She gave her story of like being really displeased with like the turnout she had for some like housing organizing that she was doing. Um, and like her mentor pulled her to a side because she kind of, you know, was like a 20 something with like a little bit of an attitude and said something to the effect of like no one's here or no one showed up. Uh, but there were literal people there. And the 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 analogy or the like the language of like you have to appreciate the choir. And so that wasn't on air. But like the idea of like preaching to the choir is something that like we we denigrate. You say it's like, negative. Right? Yeah. It's like it's you're talking to yourself when like the choir is important, I think is her like mm. uh was her bar. So that that wasn't on air, but I know that that like that counts af- affected me. But I wanna I'll try to think of something that like is recorded. No, I mean I'll ca- t- I'll take that and I take that that's a powerful one. And it's also like not only that the choir is important, but those people showed up, right? So to them be like, no one is here. It's like, no, well, this is who's here. So what are we what are we doing with the folks who are here? That's powerful. I can't think of anyone we've ever interviewed now. <laughs> <laughs> 300 episodes. 
It was um, it was all a fever dream. Yeah. <laughs> well, Daniel, I had a part two to that question. Sure, if it speaks sure. to you more, which is what's something from this process that you've carried with you that that mm. com- that you think carries over to um, other aspects of your life? Yeah, I mean that's way easier to answer because this has been my life for the last six years has been this project, and I think about the ways I've grown, and even in like Dame the telling of like our our origin stories and all that. I think. One of the things I've learned is to change my relationship to urgency mm. and the like mm-hmm. violence of urgency, mm-hmm. um, both, you know, in how it relates to like m- structural power in my relationship and other people, but especially in how it relates to myself. Yeah, you. Yeah. You treat yourself so much better. <laughs> and it's and it actually it complicates or builds off of that initial story, because what happened, I'm going to go back to it a little bit. So that was after a year and a half of being in Chicago, right? That that party happened. And then the, the Jay Bambi party. Yeah. Yeah. And I had basically had this premise internally that like, if I was super careful, I would never do anything harmful. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like I could control it all. I could pack it all in. If I was smart enough and tightly bound enough, like, I could mitigate the risk basically. And I don't know what that risk was. There wasn't a harm that I was hoping to do that I was going to, but that like all no, these I know what you mean. Just the risk of hurting people. Yeah. Right. And so that was that moment of despite all of that effort. And I made it a while, a year and a half is a long time without interpersonal conflict really by just like giving people what they asked for, but it still happened. And then I had to figure out what to do from there. And so that kind of really shifted, you know, Damon labeled it as type A. I think it's this like achievement mentality that like Mm -hmm. the things that I value or what I try to achieve are different from like dominant cultural values of what achievement is, but I'm equally as driven by them. Like I still, whatever the metric is that I'm setting of what I'm trying to get to, I am still like, I want to win this game or it's more so like I want to get an A in this mm-hmm. life thing. In liberation. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, a liberatory struggle. Yeah. And so I think with that came this pressure of wanting to, one, be connected to everyone. You know, the, the path from meeting someone to calling someone a friend was very quick for me in Chicago. And there were a lot of people who, I was calling that kind of aspirationally and because some of it was clout, but mostly it was like, I want this person to be my friend and we know each other and they probably wouldn't like disagree publicly. So I'll just call them my friend. <laughs> I'll have a rub with it. <laughs> and then for things that have nothing to do explicitly with Ergo, like a lot of those relationships disappeared and I had to kind of reconfigure my life and who my circle was. And, you know, Damon's one of the few relationships that has actually sustained through this whole time within these spaces. And so I think that kind of rupture restructured the type of urgency I put on myself. I didn't get rid of it. I still channeled it into movement stuff then is where it went. was like, we this event has to go smoothly and the chairs have to be set up by this time and we have to win this campaign and all this stuff. And then I was already kind of separating it from my like, personal achievement and making it about others which seemed more like altruistic basically but was still the same process and then the pandemic hit and like it wasn't sustainable 
you know, we spent for the first three months of pandemic until uprising, we did like three episodes a week for no fucking reason <laughs> other than that. Like I was trying to fill my life. Just cause <laughs> exactly. Like, hey, let's work harder while everyone is tired. And it, and it, it didn't even, I didn't even think about it. And I damn, I don't know why you didn't say no. Why didn't you say no <laughs> yeah. to that? That's cause I don't say no to anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and you know, some of that, like wanting to be seen thing of like a weird thing is like, I think this happened across the board when pandemic first hit, like at least our listeners, but I heard it some other places like podcast listening went down. And so like we put out more content to like match the same number. Try of, to like, keep listens. our numbers up. Yeah. Even though no one checks the numbers, but corporate, so corporate doesn't show no, just our sense of self. <laughs> Michael Scott is going to cut. I was enjoying it. And at first I thought I had a bunch of time. And so it was an emergent thing that I did. I didn't <laughs> right. realize I was getting over, overloaded, but then about like four weeks in, I realized, Oh, I'm doing more now than when I was like traveling. Yeah. Um, then uprising happened. And for the first time, for various reasons, largely being Damon being assaulted by the police and having a concussion, production slowed <laughs> as a result of that, among many other things. And whatever expectation I had had and that we both carried of like every Thursday at noon, we got to put out a show because when we were on the radio, we had to have someone. Right. We had right. to have a show. And we had kept that going and it in many ways had like sustained us through the years of instability in our early 20s and figuring out what we were doing and all that. We didn't need that anymore and it was damaging for me to put that pressure on myself. And so even though we still put out a ton of material and everything, learning how to take a deep breath in that urgency, then equally as importantly, not project that urgency onto other people in collaboration, I think has been a huge space of growth for me. Thank you for sharing that. I think that it's also remarkable for me to reflect on how much part of this is just like, like you said, your early 20s, right? And just that you all were growing and learning and changing in public during a very dynamic and sensitive time in people's lives. When you said 24th birthday, I almost choked on air. I was like, what type of birthday? So, okay. Who is the guest of your dreams? Oh. You had Angela Davis. So to quote yeah. Solange, where do we go from here? Like, <laughs> um, let's manifest. You want to go? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's definitely like our music goals because that's a, just a thing that we kind of like say in passing. But like it was very much 50-50 like artistic and then political activism is like the intention of how it started. And just like where we replaced who we had access to and also quite frankly, like what felt like needed more priority was the more explicit organizing type work. Uh, but yeah, you know, like we never got a Mick, no name, Smino. And then there's, you know, like there's just like famous people like J.I.D. and Kendrick and Solange, you know, that would be phenomenal. We had her on through like a bonus thing of something I was on, but I really want to get Ruthie Wilson Gilmore in mm. like a longer, longer conversation. I've tried to check my early 20s hero worship and like also just let him <laughs> live a little bit more. But like there was a big time where like Tanahasi was pretty, pretty high up on that list. And like for some reason, I feel like letting him breathe a little bit more, but definitely want to cross paths with him. You, am I missing anybody that we've talked about? I mean, I mean, I have my people. Oh, I'm Let's sorry. Hear I Let's hear it. Let's hear it. I mean, there's a lot check, of overlap. Let me check myself. 
Lupe Fiasco is really like my. Really? You want to have Lupe on the show? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And this is like going back to like 15 year old. Present day Lupe Fiasco. Okay. I, I would have wanted to talk to like 2008 Lupe Fiasco and current right. Lupe Fiasco and okay. almost none of the Lupe Fiascos in the middle. <laughs> got it, got it, got it, got like it. Where he's in now is fascinating right. to me. <laughs> One, I've just been a huge fan for a long time, but also realizing in many ways. So this is a bigger conversation that I don't think we have time for. But I've been trying to figure out like how the hell did I end up me in terms of like what moved me to movement, what radicalized me, you know, in conversations about arts and comedy and all this and the violences that can exist within them. Like, why do I feel attached to certain art forms, certain artists? And sometimes it's like a this is a soothing thing for me. But a lot of times it's the people who radicalize me. Mm. Um, or the art forms that radicalize me. So like I hold that value and then kind of project it on like, well, they could do this for other people. It's like a transformative tool and it doesn't necessarily do that for other people, but it did it for me. So he actually was like a huge figure in that of like- Oh, Lupe. I was Lupe waiting to was, hear who yeah, the yeah. person was. I was yeah. like, and so, so that's why. Um, among, among others, among others, but Lupe was a big part of that, you know, around calling Obama a terrorist and- for his war crimes to uh, involvement in like early occupied things to talking about Pine Ridge and so on. Just like these levels of things that now I know more about. There's more even just public consciousness about. And like he didn't always do it gracefully, but he just has served this really interesting role, I think, for me. And I think at his best, he's an incredible artist. So he's he's at the top of my list. Um Hannibal Burris is another one, just mm. in the oh, Chicago world. That's gotta happen. Yeah. That's gonna happen. You would think. I'm gonna manifest that. I'm gonna manifest that. I have a funny Hannibal Burris story that I'll tell you off air. My my Lupe story is that I once saw Lupe. His homie was opening a shoe boutique on 55th Street, uh-huh. and so he agreed to come like rap at the, the shoe boutique opening. But it was probably fly, like kind of where First Aid is now, First Aid Comics. And uh, there was no stage and he's like my height, you know? And so, so <laughs> it was like a huge crowd of people and he was in the middle and he, he, everybody was there to see Lupe, right? Nobody was there for the, I mean, shoes, sorry, to, yeah. sorry, sorry to those shoe boutique owners, but, uh, and so he wrapped, he wrapped one verse of go-go gadget flow and then just stopped like abruptly. And then everyone was like, do another. He was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> That was it. That was the whole. And then he just like walked it. away. It was amazing. It was like, fam, I'm not getting paid to be here. Yeah. What y'all get is a single, poorly mic'd, stageless verse. Yeah. First verse of. I, I think he made it like almost to the court, like maybe the part of the chorus. You know, that was it. But honestly, as an artist, I respect it. I gotta say, yeah, I so think of how many readings you showed up to where the sound I was know. terrible and there was no stage. And you're like, man, I would love to do one poem and leave. <laughs> And leave. Yeah, he did what he was paid to do, which was very little. OK, so. um, All right. So back in back in the day, uh, I'm only going to ask you all a couple more questions. So don't worry. The dis- the discomfort of being asked questions. No, will no, well, this the, is the, the dirty secret is that like a warm built so that we just love being interviewed and no one oh, wants good. to interview us as much as we want. So we just built the thing. So where we, we have to we do it on our own show. I'll be back. We could do it anytime. OK, Um, back in my day, there used to be a segment at the end of Ergo called Beef with the R&B Singer. And I would like to know which R&B singer and or podcast host nemesis would you like to call out? So who either what is your beef with the R&B singer or who is your podcast or radio nemesis? This is time for you to start your beef. This is great. Great. Oh, this is deep. This was deep. 
Um, so, you know, I, I'll, I'll get back to R&B after I just say this on top. Like, you know, that joke or that segment was created as a way to use like humor and show facilitation to also like critique R. Kelly. And I think the mm-hmm. greater legacy that Trey Songs and Chris Brown and all of them like of like, oh, this music that we thought is supposed to be like the chorus of our romance is actually abuse music. And like, you know, it's deeper than just, this is a bad person. This is actually the art is something we should be talking about. Um, so, you know, definitely Kale's perpetuity, uh, or I guess if he were to accountably transform, I would guess I need to like say that, yeah, but like, I, <laughs> I think he's, I think there's, for purposes, high bar. <laughs> if, high if, bar. We're ta- if we're taking money on that one, yeah. Um, Podcast is a better question because one of the things we we hope to do in the coming months or years is like create some sub shows out of the ergo umbrella that we collaborate on. Uh, and one of the plots lines of my thing is like, I really want to be an anti fresh and fit. And like, I just know them because they went trending, but like, there's this whole now trajectory of what I heard in the last three months. So I used to joke with Daniel, like, even before I met Daniel, even when I was on the college radio station, like niggas don't listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. And now there's this, like, now they do. Now but... there's this black men space of podcasts. Right. And there's like this joke of like, keep microphones away from black men because of the way in which they are unaccountable to their positionality and talk about women in these horrible ways. And so that's like a, a, a conundrum in my life of like, you know, feminism, anti-patriarchy, liberation are like at the forefront, but also like it's kind of corny to like be the, and I'm the feminist guy. And so trying to figure out the way in which to like combat and confront that without taking up more space that should be distributed elsewhere. So how do you put some some tension and some some resistance and also create new paths of discourse without platforming yourself for doing that is right is right. one of the things so yeah so the the fresh and fit ethos is definitely at the top of my top of my podcast beef list they're coming for you if you if y'all are listening yeah kevin samuels that whole that whole wing of the internet yeah watch out and i think in the the white analogy to that is my answer which is the the rogan universe yeah um <laughs> Which we, I think, both have had very interesting trajectories with as people who, at various points, have actually engaged with and been interested in certain things, and it's caused conflict in my life. Like it's, it's been a weird, a weird run. But I think, like, observing the like capital D discourse and the trajectory of his shit, and then that whole world of like, quote, like the free thinker world, <laughs> shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's it, it like works with libertarians too, as you go like. If your whole thing is that you can like hold space for both sides, but you always end up on one side, then you're not holding space for both sides. <laughs> right. Like it right, doesn't matter, right. you know, it, what you say matters less than like what you end up doing. You know, you can talk a lot of shit and say a lot of things if you record long enough, but like where does the like plausible deniability end basically? Mm-hmm. I think is the question. Something we say when we do consulting is there's like a difference between what a show is and what a show does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you can make arguments that that show is a lot of things, but what it does is harmful. And so that's enough for me. It reminds me of what you said about feminism, Damon, right? It's it's not a label, right? It's a praxis. And so your show also has a praxis. We all have to say farewell in a few minutes. So I'm going to close with my final question 
for this conversation. I have many more questions for the future and excited to celebrate the next 300 with y'all. But when I interview people as a researcher, my final question is always, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want me to know? And so is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want people to know about y'all or the show in two minutes? (laughs) I think we have way more opinions than we share on our show. And it's a funny paradigm to be like, we have this show that we do, and then we sometimes feel like we don't get to share what we think. And some of that has to do with the format and that ethos and the praxis of it. But I think something that we're both interested in is like, I'll speak for me, like sharing my opinion a little bit more (laughs) and couching it a little bit less and like trusting that the people who are engaging with it both as the people we're talking to and then the audience like maybe have some degree of trust that like we're not on bullshit we just might think about something a certain way so i i think just trying to make a little bit more space for that while also having all of the like accountability pop-ups that comes with it got it so more hot takes from daniel in the next <laughs> just episode lukewarm yeah. takes tepid <laughs> takes just some takes yeah. takes of any temperature no that 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 definitely resonates. Uh, you know, it it feels like have now landed in a in a space where I want to more forefront my thinking and like there, I what I want to do explicitly is directly advocate and explore revolution. Like all of this social movement stuff, this show, rapping, teaching, it's all been a tentacle of wanting to talk about revolution and like. I have felt a need to not forefront that. It didn't feel, if you know, it felt like it could be kitschy. Uh, and now I feel grounded in like, I want that to be the entry point to then go through all information. And then we just have a lot of things coming out uh, and projects that are developing and trying to build Ergo into a bigger thing. And so a project, you know, deep in the, in the environmental justice world, partnered with Elevating People for Community Recovery, look forward to. Uh, we're doing one million experiments and there will be other things coming out of that with interrupting criminalization and Project Nia. And then I want to manifest, we need like a third spool, a third leg to the stool of, we need partners that are in practicing and participating in the cultural, artistic hip hop space in the way that Elevate is in the environmental justice space or environmentalism the way Project Nia and Interrupting Criminalization is in the abolitionist space, who can we partner with to talk about hip-hop in a more like contribution-centered way is something out for people listening. Like if y'all know who that is, would love to 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 receive or manifest that. But yeah, I I I want to end with I'm excited for the things to come and like we are trying to to grow this thing. Well, I want to say thank you for not only making me the record holder, most frequent ergo uh, appearer, um, but also for y'all's friendship. And I, I truly love you and am proud of you and proud of the show and excited for everything that is to come. And uh, yeah, y'all are y'all are out here really doing it. And just we're all really grateful. Can I get 30 seconds of your time? And I'm going to try not to cry. Sure. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for the way that you have supported me and my family. You know, as we have been grieving the loss of Malik, I just want to like name to the world that you showed up, you know, as we were dealing with funeral and things coming out. You know, you not only did you participate, you helped organize communal support in a way that is like a new example in a new threshold. And, um, you know, there was already eternal love, but I I just want to, you know, name gratitude and like you have me in your life forever. And it meant a lot in ways more than I can name. So thank you very much. um, And I love you.
Thanks, y'all. Let's all cry. You're my meal, tra- you're my meal train planning buddy. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I love you guys. And okay, just to give myself the last word as host, <coughs> th- mm-hmm. thank you for that. I received that. And, you know, that is also me trying to live into practices that I hear people that I admire talk about on this show, right? And so how do we create the ecosystem in which we are constantly learning, constantly teaching, and embodying the way that this type of praxis, this type of politic is something that we try to live generously with each other, as opposed to only like cutting each other down or abandoning each other when we don't do it right, you know? Um, so it's all love. I appreciate y'all. I, I think of you as as younger brothers to me, although you are now older than I was the first time I was on your show. So <laughs> we're all growing together. No, yeah. So if I was your benchmark for age, you're now more aged than, oh, than I. Um, I got to bounce. Uh, stay on for Alan Linton and the Sports Talks <laughs> podcast. All sports with Alan. <laughs> love y'all. This love has been it. Ergo. Uh, please like, subscribe, rate, uh, and recommend us to your friends. Uh, peace. 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 It's a celebration. It's a celebration. Oh, it's over.